0: But um, There's a lot of work that goes into the, the selection of songs to really orient our hearts to a message. And, and you heard a lot of grace, you heard about a lot that Christ has done in your life, and you, and you heard about what it should do in your life, how it transforms us. Um, so it wasn't by accident some of the songs that we sang this morning. Um, but before we get there, I, I want to share with you some news. Um, this, about a week and a half ago... Um, one of our friends passed away. And and, and, and I don't normally uh, highlight everybody who's passed away, but this one was extra meaningful to me. Uh, not that any one of you are not meaningful to me, but um, this one was a little extra meaningful. Um, about four years ago, we took over this property. It was closed. There was chain-link fence around it. There was kind of ratty desert. There was no life, and there certainly was no light in this place. And... There was a gal who would go by in a wheelchair each day through the, through our parking lot, and she would see us doing construction and doing work on here, and she would avoid us like the plague. She wouldn't make any eye contact with us. She just, I think we were in her way, um, but something began to happen. We began to just purely love on her and I met her a few times in the parking lot and while she wasn't paying attention to me I just ran beside her car ran beside her and just going I can see you I know you can see me and then eventually it came to where I said hey what's your name my name is Rick and there was nothing and then eventually she says it's Tracy and she just keeps going and so that that started a journey of a love affair between me and Tracy, and and my wife was very very aware of the love affair that we had. Um, Tracy, over time, would eventually spend a little bit more time in the parking lot with me um, until all of a sudden one day, it was on Christmas Eve, her mother had died, and she came to my door, and she knocked on my door, and she was sobbing something horrendously. And she didn't know what to do she didn't know where to turn but she had seen love in this church and she had seen love in the people of this church and she just simply said could you pray for me and so that took us to a whole nother level of a relationship and the last time I spent any time with her was in this room and one of the last things I remember that she said to me she always believed she had these guardian angels that were watching over her and she never made the connection to who God was But this particular day she said, I think I now understand who these special angels are. It's truly the Holy Spirit that's been following me and leading me all this time. And she just winked at me as if to say, I now know the truth. And it just really helped me in our journey together. Um, But I'm going to tell you, she's going to be really missed by me. She went from the corner of the parking lot where she wouldn't even make any eye contact with us to ultimately taking a spot in the front row of this church and it's because of you it's because of the love that you showed to her it's because of how God works in our lives that we can be a witness that we can be a testimony to people like Tracy and it's kind of a segue into our message today and um, we're going to be studying uh, a passage of scripture that Um, will be convicting to all of us. And it will be an encouragement, but also a healthy reminder. And so before we go there, let me go ahead and pray with us before I absolutely lose it. And you'll hear a blubbering guy for the next hour and a half, I think I'm supposed to preach for. So (laughs) you laugh. Well, let's pray. Our Lord, we do thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that you are transforming lives from a little girl who said... I saw Jesus sitting right beside me, to a grown woman who really felt no love in her life, to seeing what you can do in those lives, Lord, and that you use us is just amazing to think about. Lord, we do thank you for Tracy and the impact that she's had on our lives. Lord, I thank you for the impact she's had on mine. Lord, I know it's lives like that that forever change me, and it's because i know the work that you did there Lord, we do thank you for this time and i pray for those of us that are going to hear this message this morning may it be a message of encouragement but may it also be a message of conviction that lets us know that life is short eternity is long and what we do on this earth truly makes a difference in eternity so lord may it be your words that are heard this morning and not mine May it be your truth that's heard, and may it uh, draw us ever deeper and ever closer to you. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I begin with, it appears as if all those wise sayings that we used to hear are no more. You know those wise sayings that the, the grandparents used to say to you that, You know, you take away and you remember in times of need. Now we've kind of gone to text messages with really brief initials. We do something like IDK, which means I don't know, JK, which means just kidding, and we've got a few others that I don't even know what they mean. I've got to kind of go to Google and say, what does this initial mean? And now we've even gone to these emojis, right, which is now we've got pie shapes and and, and unicorns and stuff like that. People keep sending me ones that have cows on them, and I'm not 100% sure how that applies to me or the message. But nevertheless, we've kind of gone away to these wise sayings that we used to get. And I want to give a few of them to see if you remember some of these. You know, two wrongs don't make a right. right. Good. My dad used to confuse me on that one. He'd say, two wrongs don't make a right, but two rights make a left. (laughs) And so one day I just went, right? Right? I said, I'm turned around. He said, no, it's real funny. Just use that line all the time. So it made no sense, but I remembered it. Two wrongs don't make it right. Out of sight, out of? More things change. The more they stay, the? An ounce of prevention is worth a? Good. You can lead a horse to water, but? Good. All's well that? Oh, you guys have wise people in your life who gave you those words, and, and my hope and my encouragement is that you continue to share these words and get away from the emojis of cows, okay? <laughs> I don't want 50 years from now people talking about, oh, I got this emoji of a cow and all that stuff. But, but there was one wise saying that I had shared with me and that I have even used, and, and I, I begin to question the actual wisdom of it. And the saying was, do as I say, not as I do. Do as I say, not as I do. I began to wonder what a worthless saying that one is. That means that that I want you to do what I'm not willing to do or not able to do or not capable of doing or that I won't do, but I think you should do it. So do as I say, not as I do. And now that really hits us parents who've got kids that are growing up and they're in those virtuous years where they begin to ask us questions about our lives when they were, when we were maybe 16 years old or 17 years old. And for those of us who came to faith later in life, those are hard questions to answer. Hey, Dad, have you ever done, yeah, like I said, do as I say, not as I do. And have you ever tried this? Again... Do as I say, not as I do. But as I come to find out, that is an absolutely worthless statement. Absolutely worthless. I think you may have at one point in time used that line of thinking in your own life. That that perhaps your walk hasn't matched your talk and you kind of say, hey, do as I say, not as I do. I know better, but I won't do it or I shouldn't do it or I can't do it or I'm not able to do it. I think it's especially harmful for those of us who call Jesus our Savior. That for those of us who profess that Jesus Christ lives in us, we've been changed, we've been redeemed, what we've sung about this morning, I think there's a a special harm for us in that whole idea of do as I say, not as I do. Because if I'm not mistaken, if you've chosen to follow Christ and you proclaim that in your office or in your home, people are beginning to watch you. People are beginning to watch and see if your faith, what you believe in, actually matches with the way you live your life. And I think it becomes very harmful as Christians to live that way of life. I think Scripture is unmistakably clear that we are to do as I say and do as I do. To do as I say and to do as I do. Scripture seems pretty clear about it. Look up here on the screen. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or have seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Jesus, in the Sermon of the Mount, said everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. In the same way, let your light shine. Let your actions, let let your walk match your talk. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Scripture seems pretty clear that Christians are not to hold to that wise saying of do as I say and not as I do. Scripture commands us to do as I say and to do as I do. Well, this tension is not something new. This tension has been felt for thousands of years. In fact, that leads us into our message this morning in Titus. As Pete mentioned, we're going to spend the next six weeks, and we picked Titus for a reason. It's a small book. It's only three chapters, 46 verses, and we're only going to cover the first four verses today. And now you're thinking to yourself, how can we go through all 46 verses if you're only going to do four today? Pete is much more capable than I am. And so Pete's going to carry big scriptures, 20, 30 passages at a time. No, but Pete's going to help me go through this. But I I chose the first four, we chose the first four, because it really sets our foundation for the book of Titus. The book of Titus was written by Paul. It was one of his last letters that he would write, only about a year or two before he would die. It is found kind of near the end of the Old Testament. If you can find First and 2 Timothy, you're real close to it. It was the passing of the baton from an older, wiser guy who established a church to a younger guy who had taken over a church. He was passing the baton of encouragement to a new guy. This message was really meant to encourage this pastor, but also to strengthen and instruct a church on what they were to do. Cuz there was a difficult task that Titus had before him. And the difficult task was he was facing opposition from within the church as well as outside of the church. From within the church, he began hearing this false gospel, and what would happen is Paul would journey around this countryside, and he would establish a church, and he would teach a simple message, that Christ died and rose again from the dead so that we would be free from sin once and for all. We would never have to go back to an old way of life, and if we believed that, we would never die, but we would have everlasting life. Very simple message. But we, in our way of doing things, we begin to pollute the message a little bit. We begin to add things to it. We begin to take things away from it. We begin to cloud the gospel a little bit. We, think, we begin to think it's something that we can do that's going to earn our salvation when Christ says, no, I've already taken care of that for you. So within the church, there was opposition going on. And then outside the church, there was opposition as well. Nothing within the church was transforming the community. The people that called this church home on the island of Crete, there there was nothing changed in their lives, nothing redeemed in their lives that was creating change in the countryside. In fact, Paul would go on to describe these people that Titus is ministering to as this. He would call them insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. That means especially the religious folks. And then outside, he says, Cretans are always liars. They're evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. What was happening within the church was not transforming the culture. Culture was transforming the church into its likeness. And so this was an encouraging letter. It was giving authority to Titus to say, straighten out the things that we need straightened out there because the church has gotten off track. And so with all that being said, we're looking at these first four verses, which I think shapes the conversation that we're going to have this morning and reinforces the idea that we're to do as I say and to do as I do, that our faith should manifest itself ultimately in godliness. So look up on the screen here as we read these first few verses together, and it would begin to shape what we're about today and the mission of the church the ultimate mission of the church which is so great that it's applicable 2000 years ago and it's still absolutely applicable today i remember in my old life in the business world we would change mission statements oh every 5 or 10 years and we would have new philosophies every few years but what I love about Scripture is it doesn't change and it's absolutely applicable today. So read with me up on the screen. If you want to turn to Titus, go into your old, or New Testament and if you want to start at Revelations and move to the left, you'll find it. And if you can find First or 2 Timothy, you're real close. So let me begin reading Titus chapter 1 for you. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect... And their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. So it's real quick. We can identify who the author of this book is, and we can identify who the receiver of this book is. We hear Paul, a servant of God. Now, if there was one guy who has maybe the justification for not referring himself as a servant, and that Greek word there literally means slave, it might have been Paul. You know, Paul was born Jewish, but he was also born Roman, which afforded him a lot of privilege and a lot of power, a lot of prestige and a lot of uh, wealth. He was also a Pharisee, so he was steeped in the law. He understood the traditions of the Jewish culture very well, became a Pharisee of Pharisees, ultimately would be persecuting Christians on behalf of the government. This is a guy who, if one guy said, I'm not necessarily a servant, but I am a almost an equal with God. It might have been Paul. But Paul recognizes what Jesus did in his life. That road to Damascus when he was blinded and he heard those words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? His life was forever changed at that moment and and whatever boastfulness he had was now converted into complete humility where Paul now recognizes himself as a servant or a slave. And he's writing to Titus. He calls him his true child, which which really denotes an extra special closeness that Paul had with Titus, a, a family type of relationship, someone he could trust, someone that when he passes the baton, he would not forget the simple message of the gospel that Paul had established his church with, that Christ died once and for all for your sin, so that you might not die but you would have everlasting life. And so we've identified who the author is and who the receiver of this message is in Paul and Titus. And really, let's get to the heart of the message now. And there's really one verse we're going to spend most of our time on today. And that leads us into our title of Gospel-Shaped Living, which can be found in verse 1. You know, I think the gospel is something that transforms us. In fact, I know it is something that transforms us. We are called to be evangelists, every single one of us. Every single one of us who professes Christ as our Savior, we are to be evangelists. In fact, it says in verse 1, it says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So for the sake of faith, faith the mission of the church is to evangelize the world. Christ was very clear when he was going back to heaven, he said, I want you to go and make disciples of the nations. I want you to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to claim a testimony in your life in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to do that. The first mission of the church is to evangelize. And Paul is reminding this church in Crete that they've missed the mark. Something is not happening within their lives that's proclaiming any type of faith in Christ. Anything that's going back to that original gospel that they held to, that that church was founded on. That there was nothing in their life that had changed that would cause the culture to be attracted to it. There was nothing drawing them to the Lord. And so Paul gives them this simple reminder, the reason we exist, the reason we do what we do is because of what Christ has done in our life and it's for the sake of the faith of God's elect. That's why we exist. And now how do we do that? We look at the next part of that verse and we see that it's to further our knowledge of the truth which accords to or which leads to godliness. Here's the fun part. The closer you get to know the Lord, the closer you'll understand what his plan is for you and how you're to live your life. When you recognize that you were bought and sold, bought for a price, and relieved from slavery, taken from the bondage of sin, it begins to change you a little bit. When you truly grasp how deep Christ loves you, when you truly grasp that he died for you before you even knew him, that he loved you before you even loved him. It begins to change the way you operate. You begin to see how powerful God is, how sovereign he is, how much he loves you, how, how much he cares for you, how much he, he, he is so concerned that you have a relationship with, you, with him. And then the more you look at it, the more you realize how lowly I truly am, that he would die for me. How wretched of a sinner I am. How prone I am to wander. The more I look at the truth, the more I look at my life and say, God, you are this and I am here. The more humble we become, the more that we can identify with Paul and say, Rick, a servant, a slave that was bought for a price. It changes the way you begin to think about life. It's true, we've all been saved by grace. And to some extent, we've cheapened a little bit of that saving by grace. A lot of message that we hear among Christian circles is that we can be forgiven for anything that we've done. And you want to know something? That's absolutely true. It says in 1 John, if you confess your sins, Christ is faithful to forgive you. But it also says, that I mean, he will lead you into righteousness. But we've tended to maybe soften the work of the cross. We tend to look at grace, as Diedrich Bonhoeffer would say, as a cheap grace, in the sense that the more I grow in my knowledge of the truth, the more I grow in the knowledge of what Christ has done for me, it's hard for me to sin. It's hard for me to, to, to wrestle with that because I realize how much sin costs and how much sin hurts my Savior. Yet in our minds, we see it as something, I'm gonna continue to dabble in it just a little bit because I know I can get forgiveness. I know Christ is faithful to forgive me. And again, that is absolutely true. But when Christ died for you, something changed for you when you said, I profess Jesus as Lord. He not only became the savior of your life, but he also became your Lord. He became your master. He now indwells in you. As the more I read about Scripture, I realize how powerful I truly am in Christ because He lives inside of me. It's now no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. As I read the truth and I grow in my knowledge of the truth, I begin to understand that sin and Christ can't coexist in me. It's either sin that's growing inside of me or it's Christ that's growing inside of me. They cannot coexist. And we've tended to weaken grace in the sense that we use it as a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. It makes us feel good when we can ask for forgiveness, but it doesn't necessarily change us. Imagine if you had a kid, your kid, came to you, and he lied, and you caught him, and you, just, you have a discussion, and he says, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Well, you as a parent would be so thankful and you would just say you're forgiven go and just don't do it anymore and then the next day the kid comes to you and he's lied and he says hey can can you just forgive me again well you'd be you bet you would you'd forgive him give him a little noogie on the head send him back on his way well what if you did that a hundred times a hundred times kept coming to you for the same thing over and over and over again oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, would you, would, you, would you forgive me? Well, eventually that begins to fall on deaf ears, doesn't it, as a parent? We begin to think, well, maybe my kid doesn't believe that I know what's best for him. Maybe my parent, or maybe my kid doesn't believe that he's gonna look differently in culture if he doesn't lie. Maybe as Christians we don't believe that Christ died on the cross for all of our sin, once and for all. We're no longer slaves to sin, as Paul says. He says we've been, for freedom, we've been set free. We no longer have to go back to that life. And see, that's what was happening in this church. Nothing had changed, or very little had changed in the life of this church, and it wasn't transforming the culture around them. A Tracy would have driven up into their parking lot and would have seen no difference in those people than what she saw in the world. Growing in the knowledge of the truth will ultimately lead to godliness. You have to look at your life and you say, am I being transformed by this truth or am I being conformed to culture? Because here's the thing, culture will tell you, following this God... Is really, he sucks all the joy out of your life. You're never going to find, you know, what you're looking for. Try and dabble in this over here, because that's where the real fun is. And here's the trick. Temporarily, you're going to find some fun, and you're going to find some excitement and all of that, but you're always left empty. You, you, you never truly find happiness. You never truly find joy. But then we have this thing, saved by grace, that comes into play, And we get that and we go, oh, thankfully I don't ever have to do that again. But we still dabble in it from time to time and we think it's okay. But again, Christ and sin can't coexist in your life. Either you're killing sin or you're killing Christ. I was trying to think of some way to illustrate how how big of a deal it is that Christ died for you. and, And what that truly means in our lives. That, that, that we would wake up every morning and realize that that little thing that we do that separates us from God is a big deal in his mind. And although it's true that I said he's faithful to forgive, absolutely true, but I don't want you to be the kid that runs back a hundred times asking for forgiveness. As I was doing a little bit of work looking at Diedrich Bonhoeffer's view on uh, on grace and how he coined this phrase, we've cheapened grace by that we just look at it as a get-out-of-jail-free card. In 1945, he was hung by the Nazis um, in Nazi Germany as a martyr, really, for the sake of Christ. And it led me on this journey of looking at some pictures of concentration camps. And and, and I, I, I was very clear not to put in just that in general but I want to say liberation of concentration camps. You know, Eisenhower, when they went in there with the Allied troops, he said, I want you to take pictures of everything because no one's going to believe this actually happened 50 years from now. And it's funny, there are groups that claim the Holocaust never took place. But the pictures that I looked at were pictures of liberation, pictures of being set free, pictures of finally seeing joy for the first time in a long time. And I would imagine if I could go back in time and do some type of interview with any one of those folks, I would say, you've been set free. And they said, oh, we've been set free. We were enslaved. We were in bondage. We were being led to death. Which is kind of a picture of what the world is doing to us. Culture is leading us on a path to bondage into more sin and death, and we're being hidden to think that it's okay. But if you ask these people, would they go back to this moment in time, to two days before when there was no hope? Would you go back into those concentration camps and continue to you know, thrive, and would you enjoy that, and would that be your hope for a future? Not one of them would say that. Not one of them would say that. Yet what Christ did for you on the cross was he liberated you from death. He said the wages of sin are death. That if you continue to walk in that way, if you continue to feed sin, you're going to die. Not only physically, but spiritually. But he's liberated us from that. Yet we in our minds seem to think it's okay to just kind of wander back into the camp every once in a while and just dabble in that which brought us bondage, which brought us slavery, which ultimately brings us death. We dabble in it just a little bit because we know, that's right, God will forgive us of it. But eventually, over a hundred times of asking forgiveness, Christ is going to say, I don't know if I really believe that you know, I know what's best for you. I don't know if you really want this. You claim it, but you really don't believe it. But there is sin, there is this war that goes on inside of us. I'm not making light of that. I do know that as I study this, the more I grow in the knowledge of this, I realize that it's now Christ that lives in me and I now have the power to overcome sin. I now have the power to say no to those things. And I can't help but think, looking at that picture, you know, why would we ever want to dabble in that old way of life? not only for ourselves, because we'll never find joy, we'll never find hope, we'll never find peace, but more importantly, remember what I said the the mission of the church was to evangelize. Being in a concentration camp doesn't look overly attractive to the world. Living in the world doesn't look overly attractive to the world. But living a life that's been transformed, let's call it a grace-shaped life or grace-shaped living, Now that does look different. That takes a lady in a wheelchair who won't make any eye contact with you and be drawn to something that's inside of you that seems like it's got hope or seems like it's got a promise. Because as I said earlier, people are watching us. And when we claim that Jesus is our Lord, people are watching us. They want to see if our our faith matches our walk. So they're watching us. Well, life is hard, right? Life is hard. It kind of gives a whole new meaning to take up your cross and follow me. You know, I have some folks that say to me, well, that's hard. I just, you you don't know how much I struggle with this particular thing. And I said, yeah. But if you truly believe that Christ was beaten and whipped and spit upon and, and forced to drag a cross through a city and then hung on that cross, and then, and then was forced to suffocate, and then for extra measure had a spear poked into his side. For you, that seems hard. And that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to take up our cross and to follow him. We should look different as believers. We should live by this motto, do as I say and do as I do. There's enough hypocrisy in the world that they shouldn't see it in church as well. So, what do we do with this message? It's a hard message. It's a a message that doesn't always get taught. But Christ reminds us and encourages us as we continue on in that passage of Scripture. He says, The reason we do this is in the hope of eternal life, which God who never lies and has promised before the ages begin." We're promised eternal life. We're we're promised something that will never be taken away from us. This is a hope that we have that's not a wish. This is not something that we think is going to happen or perhaps will happen or maybe will happen or is uncertain or doubtful. We know it's going to happen. Christ said, I've gone to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back. We have a promise that Christ is going to return. We have the promise of a future. We have an opportunity because when we all accepted the Lord some of us, we weren't immediately taken into heaven. There was still work to be done on earth, which was the mission of the church to evangelize, to take what we know, to live such godly lives among the pagans that they would see us and give glory to God. That there be something so different among the Christians that it would cause us to look different to others. It would draw people to Christ through our godliness. But that's not what was happening in this church. But we've been given now a hope that will never be taken away. Christ is returning. And it was a hard message now, and it was a hard message then. Because if you see in verse 3, it says, And at the proper time manifested in his words through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Paul knew this wasn't an easy message to teach then, and Rick knows it's not an easy message to teach today. But we believe we've been entrusted by God to share that truth with you, that the way you live, how you conduct yourself, the things you think about, the things you do, even when no one's looking, matters. It matters. We are to evangelize the world. We are to look different. So here's your takeaway for today. Here's the one thing that's, that's not in your notes, and I, I'm sorry I didn't have fill-in-the-blanks, but I'm just not a fill-in-the-blank guy. But here's what I want you to write, and this is what I want you to put on your uh, fridge at home, uh, put it in your car. Just begin to think about this. And what I want you to write down is grace-shaped, Living changes lives. Grace shaped living changes lives. Yours and theirs. Yours and theirs. Grace shaped living changes lives, both yours and theirs. Because here's what happens when you grow in your knowledge of the truth. You begin to be conformed in the, into the image of Jesus, like I said earlier, or you become conformed in the image of the world. And I know it's not easy. I know there's going to be days in which you fall short. There's days in which I fall short. And you know what's great about this message? This message is for me. You just happen to be here listening to it right now. In fact, Jill said to me, she said, Oh, there was one particular day you kind of didn't uh, put off a whole lot of godliness in your community. I said, thanks, dear, for pointing that out to me. Um, But I said, I hope the trend in my life is positive. Meaning, we're all here at this point in life, and and we're all on this journey, and some days are going to be better than others, but hopefully the trend is one in which people see godliness in your life. Seven out of ten times, let's say. I'm just picking a number. More so than seven out of ten times they don't see godliness in your life. Because the mission of the church is to evangelize. You know, there's only two phrases that you're going to hear from Jesus when you're ushered into his presence. It's going to be, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into rest. Or it's going to be, depart from me, I never knew you. And the people who said that said, but wait a minute, we, we believed you. We, we, we knew who you were. We prophesied in your name. He said, no, no, no. Depart from me, I never knew you. You never believed that the work I did on the cross was enough to take care of sin forever. That that grace, that big grace, not a cheap grace that's a get-out-of-jail-free card, that big grace that says, I have loved you since the beginning of time, and I've laid down my life for you so you don't have to go back to the concentration camp. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into rest. So how do we do this? Life's hard, right? Well, when you grow in your knowledge of the truth, it begins to transform the way you think. You begin to think about others greater than yourself. You begin to love uncontrollably. You begin to allow these divine appointments that happen in the parking lot with ladies that are missing their legs and have nothing to offer me. There's nothing she is going to be able to help me with. But the Lord placed me in her life for a reason. And there were several times she would say to me, why do you spend any time with me? I'm, there's nothing to me. And I said, because of what God's done in my life, because of understanding what he's done for me, because understanding that I am a slave to him, and my job is to glorify him on this earth, there is no place I'd rather be than in your presence right now, Tracy. And I can say, before I knew the Lord, and even as I knew the Lord, there was some tension going on on whether I would hang out with people because I knew it was good for me or it was good for them. But I can tell you, the more I grew in the knowledge of the truth, it does lead to godliness. It does lead to sitting in front of a lady and saying, Tracy, there's no place on earth I'd rather be on Christmas Eve than with you, hugging you and praying you. That's what a grace-shaped life looks like. That's what grace-shaped living looks like. It took a gal who would stay in the parking lot to the front row of church. That's what grace-shaped living can look like. I hesitate to give you a list of things to do like, okay, start by doing this and this and this because that leads to legalism and that leads to thinking oh, it's I do these things because of what Christ did for me. We need to begin thinking that it was because of what Christ did for us, it now compels us to live another way. Because of what he did, it now changes the way we live and the way we act and the way we think. And there's nothing you can do that's going to pay him back, yet we try to do that. But go back and think about that day in which you were liberated, if you have been liberated, if you've been freed from that concentration camp. Don't ever go back to that way of life. My encouragement to you is the same encouragement that Paul gave to the members of that church in Crete. He said, Further your knowledge of the truth, and that will lead to godliness, not godliness coming the other way. So imagine what it would look like at the Cactus Campus if all of us had that mindset if all of us devoted ourselves to growing in the knowledge of the truth, if all of us had seven out of 10 weeks as opposed to seven out of 10 weeks this way, imagine what it would look like. Imagine what, what uh, going down to bashes would look like or at Home Depot or the Gash. Imagine what it would look like if they saw people, Tracy's, and everybody has a Tracy in their life. If they saw such transformed lives, that they were drawn to it, that they, they, they couldn't stay away from you. Imagine if they saw that. Imagine what it would look like in this North Phoenix neighborhood. Imagine what it would look like in your home. Imagine what it would look like at your office or at school or just in your community. Just imagine what it would look like if, if you began to say, I am going to grow in my knowledge of the Lord because I, I, I want to pursue holiness and I want to pursue pursue godliness I want to look different than culture because I don't ever want to go back to that old way of life just imagine what that would look like I'll give you one example I was over at uh, a bank over here dropping off a check and I was plenty enough ahead of the guy. I could see getting him out of his car and he was coming up to the door. But he was plenty far away where I would have been justified in just walking in and letting the door close behind me. But I decided, you know, I'm just going to take one extra moment and I'm going to slow down my gait a little bit, let him catch up so that it doesn't seem that awkward. And so I, I did and I just opened the door and he kind of hustled up those last few steps and he, and he said, thank you. I said, no problem. And he comes in, and they were trying out this new computer kiosk at the bank. And I know what you're saying to yourself, Rick, those are called ATM machines. They've been around for 30 years. No, this was different. This one was more powerful. It had little arms on it and stuff. No, it, it, was, it was this. And so they, 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 he came in first, and they said, hey, come on up here. Our kiosk can help you. And he was kind of hesitant, he really didn't want to go to the kiosk, but he kind of felt obligated and he got drug up to the kiosk. And so me, I avoided the kiosk and went right to the line. And I'm next in line to get to a a live teller. And so I'm kind of overhearing the conversation and he's explaining what he needs to to get done. And he figures out, and and the lady helping figures out that what he wants can't be done at this kiosk. And she says, oh sorry, you're going to have to go get in line. So I'm sitting there going, see, that's why I let you in first. No, I didn't say that. No, what, what I said was, I said, hey, you came through the door first. You, you take my spot. And he's like, oh, no, 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 it's not that big of a deal. I said, no, really. I said, you, you, you take my spot. And so he did, and he got up and did his thing. And he turned around, and he just looked at me. And he said, thanks, brother. And I just thought to myself, man, that's something really different, right? I, I can look different immediately. Now, I know that's godliness. I know that's not just being a good guy because the knowledge of the truth is transforming me every single day. And that's my hope and my prayer for us is that we remember the mission of the church is to evangelize. And our job as a church is to equip you, equip me, equip us to look differently in culture. So that we grow in our knowledge of the, the truth which ultimately leads to godliness. So I hope you're with me on this. I'll tell you what. The f- whole gospel changed with just 11 guys who lived a certain way and proclaimed a certain thing in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and, and to the ends of the earth in Phoenix, Arizona. We are the products of testimonies. Think of how many products would be changed because of your testimony. But my encouragement is Christ didn't die in vain just to have you say, oh, I've got this cheap forgiveness. No, true grace-shaped living is understanding that the depth in which Christ died for you, that you've been freed from death. And so I hope you feel encouraged today by that message as we continue to walk together. And I gotta tell you, like I said, I'm preaching at me. Thanks for listening this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for this message, and I thank you for, oh, the work you continue to do in our lives. And Lord, we know you are faithful to forgive us. Lord, I don't discount that one bit. But also, Lord, know that you want us to live lives that are products that produce godliness. Lord, I know, I know you have a special call for us, and Lord, I pray that we would continue to be conformed into your image, transformed in our thinking and our ways into your image, that we would grow closer to you, and we would run from culture, and we would flee from sin. Lord, I do thank you for the promise and the message that you give us today that um, we have this great hope of eternal life with you. And that helps us endure in persecution and hardships and calamities, and on those days in which it's hard. May we remember what you did on the cross for us. And that because of that, we're going to be eternally secure with you. Lord, continue to change us. May we be a light to Tracy's. May we be a light to little girls who would say, I saw Jesus sitting beside me. Or may me. May we be a light in our homes and our work and our schools and in our community. Lord, change us. In Jesus' name, amen.